Hey, welcome to the Husker Cuzcast Sports Show, proud partner of HuskerHype.com. Justin here along with the cousins, Derek and Tyler. Hey guys, we got a lot to get into this week. We're going to talk some rules changes, some player accolades, and some other news around the affiliated with the Huskers. Uh, but first, the uh, news that came out last week after we recorded our podcast was that the NCAA is going to allow freshmen uh, to play four games within the season without burning the red shirt. Uh, so, Tyler, I want to ask you, what impacts to the game will this have in 2018? Well, I, I don't know. I, I guess I think I think when you look at the perspective of the, what this allows coaches to do, it allows coaches to, A, allow guys to see what they can perform on the field and kind of let some live um, training go. B, it allows some young players getting reps, especially as the season gets towards an end. So I think that could go forward to next year, have ramifications. I don't see this having a huge competitive advantage this year. I just, I just don't like the rule. Derek, do you like the rule? How do you not like this rule? There's, there's no downside to this rule that I can find. First off, the, the to me, the best part of this rule is I know we've had this conversation during bowl season so many times about these prima donnas that want to sit out a bowl game and they don't want to get hurt in a bowl game so they cry and they go wipe their butts on the sideline or do whatever they do and i think this gives these freshmen a good chance to come into a game and play like screw it if they don't want to play let the kids that want to play play and then you don't have to worry about losing red shirt out of the deal i think that's awesome i think another good sign is the fact that you can start a kid early in the season and see how he reacts to playing in that live time. And if he does, if he doesn't look like he's mature enough or ready enough, you can go ahead and redshirt him. I don't see a lot of downsides for this, from this rule at all. Tyler. I see what I see this doing is allowing the teams like Alabama and Ohio state, the teams that have all overall stack rosters that bring in these freshmen. It really allows them to kind of try things out with these four to five star athletes. I think it gives a huge advantage to these teams that have these young kids that are coming out of high school. You can play them for three, four games. If it doesn't work, put them on the bench. I, I just think that allows the rich to get richer in college football. And I, I, again, I'm all for the Bulls thing. I, we are all on the same page. I think the Bulls should be a different conversation. But if you want to allow a two game thing, but I just four games, just that's a third of the season that 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 competitively can drastically change college football tyler don't you see it almost the other way where this would benefit probably the smaller schools perhaps where they don't have as much established depth on the roster so if they need to uh need for a game uh a freshman running back to come in they don't have to burn a red uh, burn a red shirt see i no i don't because i think that the schools like that you're talking about they, everyone has the same amount of depth. Maybe it's not quality depth. At those schools, if they have a four-star prospect, they're not redshirting at those schools. At a school like Ohio State, yeah, if you get a quarterback being up or something, now you have a four-star redshirt you can go in and throw in the game. Look at Nebraska. We're nowhere near at that level. But, okay, let's say we don't want to play Adrian Martinez at the beginning of the year. Now we have a whole different competitive advantage that we have that good of a caliber guy that we can sit on the threat um, sidelines until we need him. It's just Purdue doesn't have that. You know, Iowa doesn't even have that because they can't recruit anyone because they suck. But it, it's just it, it's I think it allows these bigger schools to kind of put these breaking case of emergency guys on the shelf. And it's a huge competitive advantage for the big schools, I think. Well, I wouldn't consider Nebraska a huge competitive school by, uh, you know, national standards. But how huge of an impact would this have been, uh, you know, last year or, you know, the year before, if we could use Tristan Jebbia? Well, not, not only that, what about Trey Bryant? You know, after he got hurt after the second game, you could have redshirted him. Well, didn't he, didn't he apply for a medical redshirt anyway? I don't know. I, I haven't heard anything on that. I thought they applied for a medical registry. But for wait, wait, maybe I'm misunderstanding the rule. 
Der- I thought this only applies to true freshmen, Derek. So Trey Bryant wouldn't have applied for this uh, not, not for that redshirt anyway. From what I'm reading, the article I read says that Trey Bryant could have redshirted last year after being hurt after two games because he hasn't burned a right? redshirt year yet. Well, that is I, a huge impact there then. I just I think that you look at this and – you know, last year, who would have changed? I don't know, but Damian Daniels was a guy that, um, you know, you started hearing good things about as the season went on. Our defensive line wasn't the greatest. Maybe he would have got some reps, especially as the season started dying down, get him some reps. And that would have been great for us. It would have been cool to get him some reps. I don't think there's wrong with that. Where I see this really changing is, again, Adrian Martinez is the example. You have now ability to get the guy some playing time this year, which – if you need him, you can play him and don't have to commit either way. I think the, I think the other part of this that people are that you're not thinking about is when when you have a season like Nebraska had last year, where you had so much injury, especially on like that offensive line. You had some red shirt or some guys red shirted. They could have came in and played, and, and had you could have had more depth at a position that you need depth at, and you and you wouldn't have had to worry about burning their red shirts. So injuries is another situation where I think this this uh, new rule greatly improves. I agree. I agree. And I think that advantage helps bigger schools than smaller schools. I, I disagree. I think it helps any school because every school's got redshirt kids. I don't care if you're a three-star or a four-star. Every kid's got redshirted kids. And if they can get some experience in game-time situations without losing a year of eligibility, I think it helps any kid, regardless of how highly touted they are. Yeah, I stand with Derek on this one. I I, I, I just I, I think it'll be cool. I think it'll be give us another thing to talk about in the season that you may get some players that do it. I think the most intriguing thing about this concept is how coaches will use this. Will they use this as a break in case of emergency, or will they say, you know, hey, we got a big lead going on here. Let, let's try to get some guys some playing time now. Like, how are coaches going to actually use this? Because I would think, you know, nowadays you're going to see some scrimmaging. You know, you, you have that kid, you don't know if you want to redshirt or not. You're, you get up big early in the year. Let's get him out there and get some reps to see if we want to play him. I, I just think there, there's going to be a lot more of that. Absolutely. Why wouldn't you? That's the whole point. About, that's not, maybe not the whole point of this rule, but I mean, if they're going to allow this, there's no reason for a school not to do that. My, my first thought when this came up, uh, came to Miles Jones. Like, why not see what this kid could do in a few games? And if he and if he can't do what we want him to do, maybe redshirt him, or maybe even Adrian Martinez. Maybe start him for the first few games. And I think this that I think that also changes your aspect of who's going to start the beginning of the year. Because maybe you do start him and see what he can do against uh, Akron, a lesser team. And if he doesn't do what you're expecting him to do, then you bench him and put Jevia in. I think that I, I think this is uh, for a coaching standpoint i think this is a great advantage for any coach so i just want to throw out a quote here uh from uh blake james he's the miami athletic director and also the chairman of the division one council that passed the rule change and he says this change promotes not only fairness for college athletes but also their health and well-being redshirt football student athletes are more likely to remain engaged with the team and starters will be less likely to feel pressure to play through injuries. Coaches will appreciate the additional flexibility and ability to give younger players an opportunity to participate in limited competition. That's what the rule is designed, and it's it's awesome. It's everybody benefits from this. The players benefit, the coaches benefit, the fans benefit, and the big schools benefit more. I, now I, Alabama, instead of a 65-man roster, now has essentially an 80-man roster full of athletes. They're, now, they're you look playing, at this. They're you look at the anyway. They, they they are to a degree, but now they can play so many more. I mean, now injury. Well, I mean, I mean, they, come on, come just, on, come on! You're giving way too much credit, to true freshmen. How many true freshmen come in and truly impact the game that much? At big schools, enough. Not not that much. Tyler, look at. Tyler, look at it this way. Alabama, if they're going to be playing these true freshmen, these inexperienced true freshmen are taking the places of these experienced national champion players. 
Isn't there, that a benefit for us? But that's not, that's not <laughs> what I'm saying. I'm saying in case of emergency, now you can try out a guy or two. And now you can get them some playing time. Hell, you know what? You're Alabama. You're playing Mercer this year. Play your all your red shirts. You're, that All your true freshmen could beat Mercer. Save all your injuries. Like, rest everyone for a week. That's not even any better than playing your practice squad. That's like basically a practice for them. So it still doesn't matter. Yes, but but now your starters don't get injured. Now they're not playing. Now there's a whole lot of other factors. So they could they could have done that before this rule. They could have put their second and third string in to start those games before this rule was was implied. The redshirt Sorry. freshman had nothing had nothing to do with that. And and Nick Saban's not still not going to do it. He's going to leave his starters Sorry. in until they're blowing them out, and then he'll throw in his backups just like he did before. Tyler, Alabama's not playing their starters for four quarters against Mercer, okay? I mean, you're being a little bit dramatic here. Uh, I just just don't know. Like, I I didn't think the old system was broken there. I I just think that this this is a tweak that I don't love. It's just – I just – maybe I'm a purist in a sense. I just – if you're redshirting, you should redshirt. But the players win, right? Do they? Yes, they win. They don't have to redshirt. It, you know, it's like that uh, athletic director that I just read. You know, the, the, the players that are redshirting or in their true freshman years, they'll stay more engaged to the game because of the possibility that they could play a game. I mean, how how hard is it, or how easy is it to be completely apathetic through your freshman year if you know you're not going to play anyway? I mean, well, I, I think I, that's I, I a lot of players. The rule. I never liked that, this rule to begin with. I always thought it was kind of dumb that if you redshirted, you couldn't play, you couldn't sniff the field whatsoever, and, and you'd lose your eligibility. I never thought that was. I never thought that made sense in the first place. Well, let me ask this: Is this a stepping stone to the NCAA just granting everybody five years of eligibility? Hopefully. I mean, I I think so. I mean, I think that's where it's going. I mean, but then if they get five years of eligibility, will there still be redshirts in there? So you could be in college for six years. And I again, it's four years. Like, just let have four years of eligibility. Have a redshirt year. Like, just let's leave it. Let's leave it. The, the redshirt with a redshirt year, you're essentially eligible or not eligible, but you have five years anyway. So essentially, these redshirt seniors are just taking PUD classes that don't matter anyway because they've already graduated. So what? What is this? Well, grad so what, is, what does five yeah. years of eligibility change except for the fact that they can play football for five years rather than be in school for five years and only play four? I guess we'll right. disagree. Well, this- I, I just, I, I just, I, I like the system way it is. Four years of eligibility is fine with me. Like I'm not. Yeah, there are some players I wish had a fifth year of eligibility, but like it's competitive. Everything's the same. Like, I just I don't think it's broken. Let's see how Tyler's tune changes in the fall when you know for a reason we have to put uh, you know we have to put Adrian Martinez in there at quarterback and then decide to go back to uh, Tristan Jebbia and then how great it is that he doesn't have to burn a redshirt. We'll see how the. Tyler's tune changes. And, 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 and we'll say that, and then we'll see what happens when Ohio State does the same thing to us, and that may cause us a victory in there. And they could throw someone out there for a couple snaps. Well, and See, here, I guess here's my thought on this. If Ohio State's throwing a redshirt freshman in to beat us, then he probably should have been starting to begin with. If he's making uh, that big of an impact, and, and, and vice versa. You know what? If we're bringing in Adrian Martinez – if, if it's an injury situation, I think that's different. But if it's a situation that we're bringing Adrian Martinez in to try and improve the team, then he probably should be starting in the first place. But I think injuries are where you're going to see it. I think injuries and ju- is where you're mostly going to see this play, or at the beginning of the season. I think it allows a little bit of flexibility for depth charts going into the year. You know, you get those guys that are borderline second or third string. It's not first string guys you're competing against, but you kind of – you get to play around a little bit more if you're a coach. Again, if you're a coach, you gotta love it. I think it's it's fun. You can do more things with your roster, more flexibility. I just, for me, I don't think. I think it's competitively imbalanced in the game. 
I think Tyler sounds like the old man get off my lawn guy. Damn right. Drink my PBR <laughs> and my whiskey, and I'm I'm one of the kid rules to stay the same. I want the kickoff. I want the kickoff to go back to the way it was. I, I just leave my eligibility the same. Get off my damn lawn. You want your hair to go back to the same too. Uh, <laughs> moving on. Uh, moving on. Uh, Stanley Morgan. He's getting some preseason recognition. Are you going to skip over oh. the other rule change? Yeah, I guess so. I guess so. No, let's get into it. Uh, let's see the other rule change. Transfer rules. Derek, take it. Take it away. Explain it. All right, so essentially I'll try to keep this as simple as I can because I, I try and make it simple for myself, I guess. So essentially what's happening now is players do not, ha- do not have to get permission from a school to transfer to any school they want. So basically all they have to do is tell a school that they are leaving and transferring and they are officially able to talk to anybody they want. Now conferences can still make their own rules and decide to – decide, hey, you can't transfer within the conference or you can't transfer within your division. But as of right now, a school cannot say you can't transfer to such and such school because your coach went there or schools have no say anymore, basically, is what it comes down to. Tyler? Well, I do like this rule. Um, I think if coaches can go wherever the hell they want, Athletes should be able to go where they want. I, I don't. I do not think it makes sense for a school to be able to block a transfer interconference. Um, I, I just. I don't understand it. It doesn't make sense. It's not best for the athletes. It's not fair. Um, I, I am a big fan of this rule. But the conference can still make rules to block that if they. They could. The so I don't think they will though. I, I think that this is one they're going to get on board with the NCAA. I don't. What advantage, unless all the teams, like, I, I just, I don't see all the teams in the conference being like, yeah, we don't like that rule. I think it's best, it's best for the athletes. Doesn't the SEC have a similar rule where they say that you can't transfer within conference unless the head coach signs a waiver? And then that's why Nick Saban was crying, uh, you know, uh, this past spring or whenever it was that he was blocking the transfer to the, uh, for the kid to go to Georgia. And he was blocking it, and his rule was, he goes, why does everybody think that I'm the bad guy? The conference is the one that set the rules. He goes, I'm just enforcing it, you know? So if it is the the conference, I mean, I don't know. I think the conference could still do that if the SEC does. Derek? I hate this rule. I think this is, I, I think this is just makes it one step closer to the transfer-free world that the NCAA is leaning towards where you're not going to sit on a year of eligibility and all you're essentially going to do is end up turning college football into free agency market all the time and I, I think this is a, I think this is a slippery slope towards that direction and I hate this rule I don't, I don't want to see any rules changes towards the transfers so so okay let's just say hypothetically it, it wasn't a grad transfer let's say Joe, Joe Burrow when we were looking at him as a transfer and let's say he wanted to come to Nebraska, but nope, he couldn't go there because school could block it. He has to go out of conference. Like, isn't that kind of bullshit that that could happen if a kid wants to come to a second choice because it didn't work out? Like, I, I'm with you on the you have to sit out a year. You have your commitment has to mean something. I, I'm I'm with you to a degree on that, but like. Like, kids, if they decide to transfer and they get out of their scholarship, they should be free game where they want to go. If they want to sit out a year, let them go wherever they want. Maybe, but, I mean, do you, I mean, let's say Patrick O'Brien turns into this great quarterback. Do you want him playing for Iowa or Wisconsin? Well, at this point, we couldn't stop it because it would be Colorado State. Well, but, I understand that, but I'm saying hypothetically, if he had tried to go to Iowa or Wisconsin and – I mean, would you? I mean, and all of a sudden he turns into this great quarterback that he. I mean, he was a highly touted recruit. Do you want all of a sudden? You to answer your question, no, I would not want any quarterback to be good at Iowa. But I <laughs> generally, like I said, if he wanted to go to Iowa and live out there, which I don't know why, but if he did, God bless his soul, he can go there with the inbreds and be fine. Like it's great. 
Okay. All right. Enough of that. Uh, let's move on to Stanley Morgan. He just got some preseason recognition uh, earlier this week. Derek, tell us about that. So Stanley Morgan was named uh, an All-American four-string by Athlon and also named the number 48 player that, uh, out of Sports Illustrated who named the top 100 players in the country. Tyler? Kudos to him. I mean, you know, we, we last week we talked about the fact that he was left off an early Heisman list, and, it, you know, maybe the people in Vegas aren't that smart or either people at SI aren't that smart. But, um, no, that, I think that's awesome for him that he's getting that praise. I think it's deserved. He had a really good last year in the midst of a lot of shit. Kudos to him. Okay. Well, I mean, you talk about last year. I mean, let's not forget the guy had 986 yards receiving, which broke Nebraska's record, and he sat a game out. So, I I mean, yeah, I think the guy's got a big upside to him. And that's why I think it was such a huge surprise that Spielman was named to the Heisman uh, odds and, and Morgan wasn't. I'm curious on when was the last time that a Husker has received preseason All-American accolades by any publication? Can you guys even think of somebody that might have even made a preseason All-American list? Peter How far Martinez? Back you think so? Uh, maybe, he, maybe was, he, was offensive player, he was offensive player of the year in the Big Ten the year before. He could have made it maybe his senior, for before his senior year. I mean, he obviously didn't make it because of his senior year because he was hurt most of it. But Jared Crick, he would Jared have been a guy Crick, I would have thought uh, would have been up there at senior year. Prince of Makamura, maybe, and Dominican Sue, I'm sure, was up there. See, I was thinking it was going to be like Amir Abdullah. I thought he would be our last one to receive preseason accolades. I don't know, Tyler. I don't know. You might be right. I don't remember his junior year being that special, um, but, you know, I, I mean, I don't know. It, it's been a while since we've had that kind of uh, player in this hype situation. Pretty cool. Well, damn sure it hasn't happened the last three years, so. Uh... <laughs> yep, yep. All those draft picks that we've had in the last two years, too. Uh, <laughs> speaking of which, Mike Riley. Tyler's favorite conversation. Mike Riley has a new job. Uh, he's going to be in the new Alliance of American Football League that's going to be starting in the 2019. And he's going to be the head coach of San Antonio is what it looks like. Tyler, what do you think about this? Kudos to Mike Riley for getting another head coaching job. I would not have thought that was going to happen. So if I would have made a wager... I would have lost that. So um, good for him. You know, I, I've liked Mike Riley. He's been a good guy, um, not really a good coach, but kudos to him for someone getting to pay him. Sure. I mean, I guess he's got a house there in Texas since he coached the San Antonio Riders in the World Football League of America or whatever the hell that was called. Uh, you know, I don't know, this Alliance Football League, whatever it's called, I, I, I can't see it lasting very long. So kudos to him for getting a job because it takes five, probably around 500000 off Nebraska's pocketbook a year. But Yeah, but it's only for two years. It's only two years that we save. So we save a million dollars out of his $6 million contract. That's a million I mean, dollars. that's a drop. Yeah, well, if they, if they want to still give it away, I'll take the million dollars. I ain't going to lie. But don't you think Mike Riley's almost set up to succeed a little bit better in a league like this as opposed to big boy college football with his offense? John? Particularly. But Anybody? No. Everybody? No, I, I mean, I, I think seven to eight years ago, Mike Riley was a good coach. I think he is past his prime and the peak of his prime, he was a good coach. Like, No, I I think he is going to be playing in essentially a D3 caliber of talent league. It's not going to be elite football. Um, Maybe Tanner Lee will join him if he gets cut. But, uh, (laughs) I mean, I I just – good good for Mike Riley. I mean, like I said, I've never never had ill will towards the guy, and 
But no, I don't think he's going to succeed. Derek? Well, you talk about him being past his prime, and I, I just... I, I, I want to list all the coaches that have been hired, and, and they have eight teams, okay? Now the eight teams, seven of them have hired a head coach. And I just want to, I just want to tell you who these head coaches are in their ages real quick, just so you can see what, what this league is going after for whatever reason. Uh, Mike Riley has got San Antonio for uh, C64. Atlanta hired Brad Childress, who's 61, hasn't coached in, since 2010 for the Vikings. Memphis has Mike Singletary, who's 59. He's one of the younger ones in this list. And he's only had, like, a couple years coaching for San Francisco. Uh, Orlando's got Steve Spurrier, who is 73 years old. I mean, you talk about past your prime. That guy's way past his prime. He was a great college coach. But he didn't pan out in professional and whatever. You got Rick Neuheisel, who was willing to break every rule in college football to, to try to win. But he is the There's youngest no recruiting. Guy. You know, that's true. That is true. And he is the youngest guy on this list at 57. And uh, Dennis Erickson, who's 71, who is way past his prime and had a few good years in college, and that's about it. And then Mike Martz, who coached the St. Louis Rams from 2000-2005. He's 67. I don't really remember him very well. but He was the head coach of – I think they were pretty good at that time, so – yeah, he was the head coach of the greatest show on turf. He took a team to the Super Bowl. So, um, actually, I think he took the Super Bowl. To be honest with you, but well, it was a long time ago. Dick Vermeil, the, 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 the guy literally hasn't coach. been a head coach since two thousand five. So I don't, I don't Dick see, Vermeil I don't see where this uh, does any good for this for this league that you're going after these old past their time coaches. Some of them have had very minimal experience coach as head coach. And you're trying to put a good product on the field. I, it, well, it's it's a new league. There's so much uncertainty. You're not going to get an NFL head coach. You're not going to get anybody that can be coaching in the NFL or in college because with five hundred thousand dollars a year, you can get that coaching division. You know, in FCS school, you could probably get that. I mean, there's that money is not big. Well, the 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 other part of the reason i don't see this uh league succeeding is their first week is february 9th which i believe is super bowl weekend and then it's a 12 week long period to go that their championship game comes between april 28th 6th and april 28th that 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 week that last weekend in april uh I, i think it's bad timing i think by super bowl people are getting tired of football and they're not ready to start a whole new season back up right at that same time the rest of football's ending. Tyler? Where, where, where this would have been actually a little interesting if Mike Riley had been named the head coach in the XFL. I would have been more intrigued to see Mike Riley bumping shoulders with John Cena and Stone Cold Steve Austin on the sideline. That would have been cool to me. Well, I don't, All right, the last time XFL was around, I don't remember a lot of professional wrestlers on the sideline but it's coming back though it's coming back it is baby. coming back but i don't remember being a lot of professional wrestlers involved in those in the actual football so I, jesse ventura was the announcer <laughs> well, okay final question on this uh topic here are you going to watch no i didn't want to watch mike riley when he was at nebraska why <laughs> i want <laughs> That's a no. bold face lie. You used to get so mad at me for wanting him fired. You're such a liar. I'm not going to get in this argument. <laughs> All right. <laughs> hey, let's uh, let's keep the show going on here. We've uh, done the top five quarterbacks since Scott Frost left as a Husker player. We've done the running backs. This week, let's get into the wide receivers. So let's rank the top five wide receivers since Scott Frost. Start with you, Tyler. So my number five, this was, this was a tough one because there was about four names I could have had in my number five uh, position. But I went with Todd Peterson, um, a, a Grand Island Central Catholic alumni as my number five. Number four, I had Quincy Anunwa. Uh Number three, I had Jordan Westerkamp. Two, Kenny Bell. And number one, Nate Swift. All right. Uh, before we debate, uh Ty, or I'm sorry, Derek, give us your well, top I, five. I'll tell you this. I think there's going to be a lot of debate in this, but 
my number five was uh, Juco Transfer Maurice Purify, number five. Number four, I had Stanley Morgan. Uh, number three, I had Nate Swift. Number two, I had Jordan Westerkamp. And number one, I had Kenny Bell. All right, for me, coming in at number five, I got Matt Davison in there. Number four, I have Maurice Purify. Three, I have Jordan Westerkamp. Two, Nate Swift. One, Kenny Bell. Uh, I don't, I'm not seeing a lot of separation in here, but I want to go to Derek. Derek, you included Stanley Morgan in your top five. Uh, Tyler, Tyler and I, we did not have it. Why did you include him in your top five? Well, part of it is because of his preseason accolades. I think that's awesome. And I don't remember any other wide receiver having these preseason accolades. Uh, but really, the reason is, is he's got 119 receptions, 1,743 yards, and 15 touchdowns. And he still has a year of eligibility left. This guy is going to end up breaking all of the records out there if he stays healthy this year. And so Don't I would, probably would have had him as my number one if he would have had his f- career finished after this year. If he stays healthy again. Thoughts, Tyler? Well, I, I, I mean, Stanley Morgan, I looked at him. I mean, I, I definitely did in my top five. I think right now the, the factors is, you know, he is a little bit incomplete. He had arguably one of the better years, if not the best year for a wide receiver in last year. Um but with everything, uh, you know, with everything going on, you know, looking at his career so far, um, you know, he's been good. I just I, he wasn't good enough to crack my top five. Well, you talk, you talk about last year. I mean, he had not, he had broke the all time record in Nebraska for rece- receiving yards. He had 61 receptions and 10 touchdowns. If the guy gets seven touchdowns this year, he's going to tie Nick Nate Swift for the most touchdowns in Nebraska history. He's he's on he's on pace. He gets, if he gets another 900 yard season this year, he's going to end up beating uh, Kenny Bell's record for most yards in, in a career. I mean, the guy's just I don't know. I, he's on pace to bait, break a lot of records this year, and it's hard for me to leave him off my list. The reason I didn't include him in my top five is because his college career isn't done yet. Uh, sure, he had a great year last year, you know, a lot of yards, and he just. Excelled. That's why he's getting all these accolades right now. But his career is not done. And maybe if we would have done this as like maybe the best seasons of wide receivers in the last 20 years, sure, he would probably be in my top five. But I just did not include him because he's not done playing. Well, well, and, and while he did make my top five, I will say I had him higher than Maurice Purify. I mean, he's played the same number of seasons that Maurice Purify did at Lincoln. Um, you, with Purify being a transfer. So he, he's played as much, had more success on the field. So, I mean, I think when I look at, when I was comparing those two, I did like Stanley Morgan more, but you two, um, and again, Purify was definitely a guy I looked at, but when you looked at what he did, I mean, I, I think Morgan's got a stronger case than those than he does. Well, you want to talk about Maurice Purify. This is why Maurice Purify is essentially making my top five. So he played in 06 and 07, and he had one of the other guys that I actually thought about mentioning was Terrence Nunn. He was competing with him, and he was competing with Nate Swift, who was in my top five. And in those two years, he had more touchdowns combined than them two. He had 16 touchdowns in those two years compared to the nine that Nate Swift and Terrence Nunn combined for. Uh, he had 1,444 yards and 91 receptions in those two years. I mean, and he had and he had two great receivers next to him that he was competing with. So I, I that's why I put him in there. I I think he, he probably had that was probably one of the best uh, group of receivers that we've probably ever had in Nebraska, and he still compiled a lot of good stats. I want to swing back into our top three. All of us had the same top three, different orders, but. We all had uh, Kenny Bell, Nate Swift, and Jordan Westerkamp. I can see an argument maybe made for you know uh, Bell and Swift as being the number one. Uh, Westerkamp, 
Uh, Derek, you kind of put Westerkamp uh, at number two. Tyler and I had at number three. You really think Westerkamp was uh, better than Nate Swift, Derek? Yeah. He was a human highlight reel. He was second in receptions. He actually had one, I mean, all of one reception more than Nate Swift had. He had two less yards than Nate Swift had. And uh, touchdowns, that was a little different. But uh, Nate Swift was number one overall in touchdowns. But, I mean, at the end of the day, look, they, they, they were interchangeable to me. But the only yeah. reason I put Jordan Westerkamp there is Jordan Westerkamp had the best highlights of anybody out there of, of all time. I mean, did a catch behind the back. He had more one-handed catches. I mean, the guy, you just threw it at the guy and he caught it. And if it wouldn't have been for his senior year being hurt half the year, he probably has all these records and probably is number one overall. Tyler, you had uh, Todd Peterson in there. Everybody loved when Todd Peterson played back in the day. Uh, you had him in your top five. Uh, tell us more about that. Well, again, there, there were a lot of guys, um, guys that you mentioned, uh, Matt Davidson, Maurice Purify, Stanley Morgan. Um, we're all guys that looked at, but the thing with Todd Peterson, um, he, he, A, when he was at Nebraska, he was very consistent. I mean, you look at his uh, career, he finished top 10 in receiving yards. He t- finished top five, um, you know, with receptions. Um or I'm sorry, receptions in a season, um, but top 10 receptions. I mean, he, he had a really solid all-together career at Nebraska, and I think when you look at the difference, I just remember him making some really good plays um, on some really bad teams. Um, he, he, he Again, all those guys you could be looked at, but it's just when I looked at comparing Maurice Purify, Stanley Morgan, you know, I, I remember big blunders that they made in their careers. Uh, the, the the big catch that Stanley Morgan didn't make against Wisconsin, the kickoff against Oklahoma for, for Maurice Purify. Todd Peterson, I really don't remember these blunders. I mean, he was very consistent. And, yeah, I'm a little bit biased because I played against him in high school, and so I've always kind of followed him and appreciated what he did at his time in Nebraska. I'm shocked that neither one of you guys had Matt Davison in your top five. Is there any reason to that, Derek? Uh, yes. To me, his fame comes off of one play. And that was a pass that wasn't even intended for him. It was off a tip pass that he caught in the end zone against Missouri. Everybody knows the play. It was a great play. And I'm not saying that Matt Davidson wasn't a great receiver. And he was expected differently out of things. I mean, he wasn't expected to to catch the ball a lot because we didn't throw the ball. But, I mean, the guy's best season had 441 yards. I mean, I don't know. That's, that doesn't scream best wide receiver to me. But I, I think as far as career goes, from freshman to senior, sure, he doesn't have the stats to measure up to some of these other guys. But he is, he is the only receiver that uh, I saw out of uh, this entire group in that time span that had postseason honors postseason all-conference honors in three for three years, three of the four years. And I thought with him doing that and the type of offense that he was in just speaks volumes about his receiving ability. And what – go ahead, Tyler. No, Justin, I agree. I think that, um, you know, what you, you got to look at the error he played in. So and, – and what he did that time frame was remarkable. I think the thing that kept him off my list was two factors. One being that his best play, my me- most memorable moment, happened before the time frame we were judging. Um, and two, So I tried not to count the catch. And two – I don't remember a lot of Matt Davidson's time at wide receiver. I, I agree with you that he has success, and I remember him being like the best wide receiver we had in that time frame, but I don't really remember much else about him. Like, I can't, you know, Jordan Westerkamp, I can remember five or six plays. Nate Swift, I can remember a lot of plays. They had stats. It just, there wasn't that much memorable besides the catch about Matt Davidson's career. And I, I was trying not to take that into consideration being that we're doing this since after that play, essentially. 
what other names did you guys consider in your top five that names that we haven't discussed here at this point? Is there anybody else that rings a bell? Niles uh, Paul. Yeah. Niles Paul was the one other name. Um, you know, I, I think for me, you know, I, I, I guess to go a little bit deeper, I, I didn't rank him out, but to me, number six um, was Stanley Morgan. I, and then after that, it was kind of a blur. Um you know, Niles Paul was a little bit below those guys. I just, you know, he he always seemed to me like he was just a little bit, um, you know, unrealized talent when he was at Nebraska. He never full hit his potential. Um, you know, he had a good career, but he just, a lot of talent. Obviously, he's still playing in the NFL. Um, and, and, you know, obviously the guy's got talent, but... It just and he always seemed like he didn't realize his whole potential in Lincoln. I want to talk about Terrence Nunn real quick since you brought it up, Derek. Uh, Terrence Nunn, he was a really good receiver when he played, but he was, uh, I guess, overshadowed by one single play during his playing career, and that's how I remember him. And that's that fumble against Texas. I mean, that's that's the play, uh, but. Yeah, but, I can but, see but it isn't that. hard to it isn't hard to call a guy a bad player off one. No, no, no. Get, one, you're one you're play. right. I mean, the the other one you're I thought right. of was Quincy Anunwa. I thought Quincy Anunwa was. I mean, he was close to my top five. I struggled I had to not put him. Well, in I had there, I had him number four. So I had, oh, I had you Quincy did. number I four. Okay. Yeah, yeah Quincy. I, I, mean, Quincy I, I did. Really I did have Quincy Anunwa pretty close to my top five. Uh, as far as Kenny Bell, I I, I know uh, that this order is a little different. I, I know. Justin, you kind of agree with me, which surprised me a little bit. Uh, but after watching some of his highlights and the fact that he's our has the most reception in Nebraska and he has got the most yards at Nebraska, I think you had to leave him number one. Plus, he was after watching his highlights, man, that guy was one of the hardest hitting, fat, and he was fast, and it just was just a special phenomenon. It really surprised me he never panned out in the NFL. It really did. He, he got a penalty called on him for blocking too hard. Exactly. I mean, he was one of the hardest-hitting receivers I ever remember watching. And, and it, was, it didn't matter if he was blocking. It didn't matter if he was if he had the ball in his hands. It, it just didn't matter. Like I mean, and the guy was a good kickoff returner. He was uh, – he, he did everything. He was so versatile. And I, yeah. I, I would love to see what he could do in a Scott Frost offense. That's for sure. Hey – Maybe he finds his way to San Antonio. I think that dude can still play. <laughs> hey, well, uh, he's still looking at NFL gigs. He's, I think he's getting, he got, he's getting tryouts. He's getting in there. He's still in that conversation. But yeah, I bet. But but I will say, I had Nate Swift over, and, and I think I went back and forth on my top two. And I think at the end of the day, the difference to me on Nate Swift versus Kenny Bill is, I think you know, obviously Nate Swift had. You know, Zach Taylor throwing him balls, Joe Gans. But I, I just look at the way the offense was split. I think Kenny Bell had more opportunities um, because I think Taylor Martinez was a little bit better of a quarterback than those two. Um, maybe not as a pure passer, but the way his stats he accumulated partially because of Kenny Bell. But I, I just I, I don't remember Kenny Bell being the guy. I think Jordan Westerkamp, Quincy Anunwa took some shine away from him. His time, Nate Swift, when he was in Lincoln, he was the guy. No way. Nate Swift had Terrence Nunn and, and uh, Maurice Purify playing with him for most of his years. He had, he had uh, Terrence Nunn playing for three of his seasons and Maurice Purify, play, Purify playing for two of them. He was a, in his senior year when he was the go-to guy. He had a great year, and that, that's kind of why I kind of left him out, a little, dropped him down a little low. Is outside of his senior year, his stats weren't great. His senior year, he had 63 receptions, 941 yards, and 10 touchdowns. He had a great senior year. But if, if you take that one year away from him, his stats aren't that great. Well, I don't know if that's true. I mean, he so he had a better senior – his best season was the best – Besides Stanley Morgan, and we've had, but other than that, I mean, he averaged over 500 yards receiving, which is definitely on par to a lot of those other guys that we're talking about. Kenny Bell obviously had two 800 yard uh, receiving seasons, but I mean, he 
there isn't many wide receivers Nebraska's had that have consistently produced um, that type of receiving accord. Yeah, and, and yeah. To add to that, Tyler, and to that point, the numbers that Nate Swift was putting up that year was just astronomical. I mean, it was statistically it was the, one of the best seasons ever for a Nebraska receiver, and so that was that was a huge thing at that point. Uh, anyway, guys, we got to move on. Uh, we got to move on to our last call segment. Segment everybody loves. No topics are off limits. Last call to you, Tyler. So recently, ESPN did a, a segment with Scott Frost uh, hiking the Grand Canyon, which I, if you haven't got a chance to check it out, is really cool watch. But part of that program he did, he did the hike with a, a third-party company called Program LLC. Um, and, and when when you look at that, that that is a uh, program that is made up of former military guys that are currently on campus at UNL training. And there was this great shot with Damian Jackson um, in the weight room training. It's a third-party company that they brought in to help with some conditioning and toughness. And I I just – kudos to Scott Frost for trying to get more toughness in this team. He's leading by example. Um, If you haven't got to check it out, please, please do. Thoughts, Dirk? I, did, I actually have struggled to find this. I, I didn't get a chance to watch it live, and I haven't struggled to find it since. However, I do know that he went on a 24-mile hike through the Grand Canyon, which kudos to him because he wants to do things that he – I mean, if he expects his players to do things, he wants to be, be able to say he did them too. And a 24-mile hike and in one day, that's that's a long damn hike, especially in that atmosphere with it. you're in a desert. And yeah. That – Scott Frost, definitely a tough son of a bitch. That's a, that's for sure. Hey, I'm jealous. I want to go to the Grand Canyon, but my family thinks it's lame. But uh, watching watching that video, that segment there, it definitely looks awesome. And uh, yeah, that, that was a great segment. Uh, last call to you, Derek. All right. Well, I hate to be the uh, guy that talks about this two weeks in a row, but now Dominic Rayola is came in, coming out and talking mad shit about the previous staff. And he talks about how bad it sucked with Mike Riley here and how there was just no urgency or no improvement. No, it just, it was a terrible thing. And I, it, it strikes me as funny how many of these former players and these current coaches are just taking stabs at this previous staff. Well, after a four and eight year, after, you know, 40 plus years of success, yeah, it's going to weigh on alumni, former players, you know, fan base, too. Uh, it, it was trying times back then, but hopefully they get better. Tyler? Yeah, I mean, it's not shocking. I mean, obviously, we saw where the program went under Mike Riley. Um, I, you know, I do find it funny that all the former players that didn't play for Mike Riley are talking trash. Um, unlike when Bill Callahan left when his players that were under him started talking trash when they a couple years later but maybe that'll happen for mike riley too but um yeah it's not shocking obviously we saw where the program went under them Derek. well luke gifford kind of came out and talked trash about the previous staff and when he was talking about how they could just pretty much take a day off from lifting for minor injuries i mean so it's already kind of started with that too but go ahead all right, my last call is going to go out to the U.S. Open, and that was very uninteresting golf to watch this past weekend. Uh, all the good players seemed like, or all the players I wanted to watch, they got cut. And watching it, it was bad golf. I mean, the course was just terrible. It, it's not fun to watch these pros struggle that much, uh, hitting the green and then having it roll off that far on what should have been a great shot it was it's terrible by the u.s open to do this and uh bad i didn't even watch it sunday i didn't care by sunday i watched all day saturday didn't care sunday to even watch what do you guys think i didn't bad watch the dang second of it I never watch a golf tournament until after Friday anyway when that, when the cut happens. And when I seen how many players got cut out of the, the U.S. Open, I had no interest in even turning this thing on. 
And I'm glad I didn't because it sounds like it just ended horribly. So shame on you, PGA. Shame, shame on you, Shincock or wherever the course is that they called. And it's it was terrible. Bad golf, but it was one of the more hilarious highlights is Phil Mickelson getting visually frustrated <laughs> after a putt, chasing it down and hitting the ball before it even stopped. Uh, that, that is a total Justin move on the golf course. So uh, uh, it was terrible. It was bad golf, and I'm glad it's over. I mean, you know, yeah, that was funny. You know, Phil Mickelson, he did apologize for his uh, antics out there. But that's how bad this this course was. Where it frustrated a seasoned vet like Phil Mickelson to go and try to hit his ball that's moving just out of frustration. Derek? So so one last thing on that. So technically Phil Mickelson should have been disqualified from the tournament for for that move. And did you think the two stroke penalty was enough of a punishment for him? Sure. Just playing yeah. in that tournament was punishment. <laughs> Agreed. All right, guys, great show, but let's get out of here. Uh, be sure to follow the Husker Cuzcast on Twitter at Husker Cuzcast. Like us on Facebook. You can find all of our episodes on Podbean and on iTunes. Make sure you check out HuskerHype.com for all of our stuff and all the other great stuff they put out. Uh, on behalf of Derek and Tanner, we want to thank everybody for listening, and we'll see you next week. And as always, go be great. Yeah.